Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I believe there's a rhythm and art in everything that we do. This is my journey about how I went from being a hip hop dancing engineer to a multifamily real estate investor. If you want to learn more about how you can start investing in real estate, stay tuned to learn from multifamily real estate investors and hear how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Koo, and this is the show where I interview multifamily real estate investors and find out how they found their rhythm and created their own sound investments. But before I dive into today's guest, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by the In Rhythm Multifamilies Facebook group. It's just the group where I post some of the conversations that I've had, some of the meetups that I've gone to, and it's it's just a place where if, if you want to feel safe to learn about multifamily real estate, join me on my journey and, and come along. So take action, join the group, and I'll see you there. And for today's guest, I'm really excited. He is an investor, business owner, author, and entrepreneur. As a real estate entrepreneur, he has grown his portfolio to an impressive $100 million in assets under management and is teaching others how to do the same. He is the co-founder of Jake and Gino, uh, a multifamily real estate education company that offers coaching and training in real estate founded upon their proprietary framework of buy right, manage right, and finance right. Best-selling author of three books, Wheelbarrow Profits, The Honeybee, and Family Food and the Friars. And they actually just released another book that I'm currently in the midst and it's a great book, uh, Creative Cash with Bill Ham. Gino graduated from the IPEC Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, where he earned his designation as a certified professional coach. He currently resides in St. Augustine, Florida with his beautiful wife, Julia, and their six children. Please give a warm welcome to Gino Barbro. Taylor, that's, you said a lot there in that introduction. <laughs> I think you covered it all. I think we could just stop listening right now and I can go home, right? That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you know, although I covered a lot in this introduction, I'd love for the audience to hear, uh, hear from you telling me a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate in the first place. So for me, I, it was pretty simple. I had two great parents. I opened up a restaurant back in 1994, got out of college. I didn't like working in a cubicle in downtown Manhattan right after the World Trade bombing, the first one in 93. I'm like, I shouldn't be here. I was a 99 John. I was literally down the street from the first trade center bombing. And I'm like, I just don't like the city. I don't like the feel. I decided to open a restaurant. My dad had one. So we opened one up and I worked at the restaurant for about 20 years uh, from 94 Till around 2008, I really enjoyed it. I really loved the business. I would love to work with the family. But, you know, we're going through a current pandemic right now. And in 2008, it was a really big shift in the economy, deflationary pricing. People were losing their homes. There was no jobs out there. And at the restaurant, I was working harder and I was making less. Can, you know, can anybody attest to that? I guess a lot of people are doing that yeah. now. And that's what happened to me back then. And, you know, my, I lost my father in 07. 08, all of a sudden you hear you have Grubhub. You have other uh, businesses coming online. A lot of competition. Costs in New York are starting to escalate. And I'm just saying to myself, the real estate thing is, is, is great. I've made a couple of mistakes back in 04 and 06 and other investments. I said, I, I want to get into multifamily. How do I get into it? Because I don't need another job. I don't want to flip homes. I've got a restaurant. All I want to do is make a couple thousand bucks a month. At the time, I had four kids. I had number number four on the way. Wow. I, just wanted, I just wanted I wanted to to do something different. I was getting bored with what I was doing. I didn't really enjoy what I was doing. And you know that's what led me to real estate. If you don't mind me asking, what, what got you to multifamily versus like any of the other uh, 
other real estate investment. Taylor, that's a great question. I started out in 04 with a mobile home park. I partnered with somebody. The partnership was a disaster. My, my friend actually introduced me to this fellow. It wasn't, when, when you read Stephen Covey, Stephen Covey says responsibility, being able to respond, right? I was responsible for that big mistake. Was the guy a louse? Absolutely. Was he a dirtbag? Absolutely. But did I go into business with him without doing due diligence? Absolutely. So mm. it was on me. I didn't know what I was doing in the mobile home park space. I had extra money. I invested it with him. And a year and a half later, we lost it all. Proceed two years later, I get into a strip center in New York, uh, 19,000 square foot building, beautiful building. But I didn't know anything about real estate and investing. I didn't know what a cap rate was. I didn't know what our three, you know, three pillars of real estate were, market cycle and debt. I didn't know any of that. I just saw it as an opportunity and I jumped in and I held that asset for 10 years, lost a lot of money, but that was the impetus to say, I've got to do something. I've got to go out there and I need to get educated. I can't just keep taking these wings. I don't know what I'm doing. So I joined a couple of coaching programs back in 08 learn the business, learn the model. And I love multifamily because I know people need a place to live. Was I, did I know that the demographics now everyone wants to rent? I didn't know that, but I just knew people need a roof under their heads. And I was seeing what was going on in 08 and 09 with all the businesses shuttering and all the strip malls closing and people starting to work from home. I, I didn't like any of those models and I didn't like self-storage either. I just said, you know what? Let's try mobile. Let's try multi multifamily. And in my my thought process back then was, I'll buy a duplex here, a quad, a six unit, and then I can start scaling up slowly and you know slowly pivot away from the restaurant and go into the real estate full time. That was was what my strategy was back in '08. And so back in '08, when you were trying to you know find the duplex, the quad, and then you know just starting these with these smaller multi multifamily units, what was the moment where you're like, I need to to scale up a little bit more? Yeah, that's, well, that's another yeah. great question. For me, I started buying assets. I lived in Westchester County, New York, very you know affluent county in the state of New York. There were no deals even during the even during the recession. And, you know, Jake and I, we like to say, if it don't cash flow, let the grass grow. I wasn't cash flowing with these deals. You know, duplexes at the time down there were costing like you know two hundred thousand a door, and they weren't they weren't making money because the taxes were high, the insurance was high. And I'm like buying these assets just for capital appreciation. Now that may be good for a long-term strategy, but I wanted to exit the restaurant. So I needed cash flow. I had, you know, I've got six kids. I need to put food on the table. So I'm move up to Rochester, New York, and I am buying duplexes up there. $60,000 for a duplex. So it's 30,000 per unit. I'm getting $600 per month per unit. So they're cash flowing well on paper, but I'm saying to myself, there's a lot of work. I'm out of state. I'm paying a property management company. I can't really scale up because all those are doubles. And so if I keep putting these assets on, these properties are old. They're 1900s. Every time a resident moves out, you've got to put in a thousand or $1,500 to replenish it. You lose a month's rent. Plus you actually have to pay the property management company another month. So for me, I wasn't living in the market. If I had been in the market and done it, I could have done what we're doing now with a multifaceted and being vertically integrated. But being an out-of-state owner or an out-of-market owner, that, that strategy did not make sense to me, buying all these little assets. It's almost buying single-family homes and buying multiple. They're very, they get to be very time-consuming, very hard to manage because every home is different. Where are the hot water heaters? I don't know. Is it a two-car garage? I don't know. How big is the kitchen? What kind of flooring? Every house is different. When you buy a 10-unit apartment complex, it's, you're buying basically 10 boxes. They're all the same. The flooring's mm -hmm. the same. The fixtures are the same. The same hot water heater, the same siding. So for me, I noticed quickly, real, real quick, I said, I can't keep scaling up like this. And you know, fortunately, I'd met Jake back in 2009. He was a pharmaceutical rep. He was doing catering orders out of the restaurant. 
And I met him through my brother. And I'm like, I like Jake. This guy is great. He comes in. He's always prepared. And he tells me in 2011 that he's moving to Knoxville. You know, as a New Yorker, most New Yorkers back then didn't know where Knoxville was. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm like, where is it? He's like, Tennessee. I'm like, why Tennessee? He's like, a lot of people are moving there. The cost of living, the quality of living, no state income tax. So I said, Jake, when you get down there, let's start looking at deals down there because I'm looking at the numbers and they make a lot of sense right now. They really do. So this is in 2011, we're in the midst of the recession. Rents are really low. Valuations are really low. Consumer sentiment is low. But I said, let's just start. And you know, he gets down there in 2011. It takes us 18 months to find that first deal. And there's a lot of learning processes we can go through that first deal. But for me, it was just finding a partner, finding a market that made sense, learning how to invest out of state, which I already did from Rochester, right? Because I already had the property management company out of state. And I just found a partner whose boots on the ground. We partnered up and we bought that first deal together. Going back to, did you ever have to convince Jake to be a partner and invest in multifamily? Or did you already have the, the same mindsets like multifamily investments is, is the vehicle that I want to use. It's a great, another great question for Jake. He wanted to be an entrepreneur. He was actually starting out this CrossFit kind of you know, gym system kind of thing. <laughs> and at the time he understood the scalability, right? He knew that he needed to sell these kinds of units. He didn't right. have the business skill that he does now, but he wanted, and then I, you know, I, I sat down we talked about real estate and, and it all made sense to him right away. He's like, this makes total sense. And for him, it was like, amazing because he's in the market. He's actually managing these assets. So every time we buy a property in the beginning, 25 unit property, if it's grossing $13,000 a month in rent, he's getting paid 10% to manage it. So he's making $1,300 a month just to manage that property, right? Wow. And what are costs at the time, his cost for a home in, in Tennessee were like two grand a month. So he was almost making his home costs just from the property management without any owner draws. So for him, he saw it right away. He's like, I can start buying these things. I can work part-time while I'm working full-time on my W-2, because if you're buying a 25-unit property like we did, all 25 units are contiguous. You go, you collect the rents, you cut one grass, there's roofs over there, everything is contiguous on one parcel, a lot easier to manage. And then the next property we bought was the 36 units. So within you know six months, we have 60, 60 odd units and he's still working as a W-2 employee. So for him, I think he saw it, and it was basically, when, you, when you're partnered with somebody, you really have to think about your value-based decision-making. Do, you, you, do your values align? Are you one day in multifamily and the next day crypto and then the next day single family and then the next day self-storage? There are so many successful and amazing people out there that could be so much more successful if they just hmm. focused and they didn't get into that shiny object syndrome. And what's the new flavor of the month right now? That's the problem. So for Jake and I, we planted our flag. We said, let's stick with multifamily. Now, you know, after 10 years, we're looking at developing. We're looking at buying a, par a parcel of land and building right now, but it's already been eight, eight or nine years. And what that yeah. is, is we've got our contracting license out there. We're going to start building. It's still multifamily. That's just a different process, starting out slow, but we have the model. We know how to manage these properties. We know how to buy them properly. We're going to see how, how to build these things. There's something I want to just di dive back into a little bit more and something that I was really impressed with is just the partnership that you and Jake have, just because I, I mean, to be able to create uh, an education company, real estate company, and teach your framework like that's a very strong partnership. Like it's it's amazing to to see what y'all have accomplished, right? When like when when you decided to partner up with him, you mentioned uh, you know you wanted to you're vetting him as business partners, right? Was there uh, did he have property management experience beforehand of uh, where you could trust him and say like oh you know he could he could handle it over Knoxville? He did not. 
And, you know, it's, it's really funny. What day is it today? It's Saturday, right? Saturday. Most people are at the beach. They're hanging out. They're having fun. Where is Gino? Gino's working right now with Taylor, and I want to be here. But at the same token, what's Jake doing on Saturday? He's looking to put a deal in the contract. So that's wow. what partners do. We don't can make excuses. We're always working. We're always creating. I never say to Jake, you know, did you call the broker up today? And he never says to me, hey, Gino, did you send out that LOI? Or, hey, Gino, did you talk to that student? We take care of our own businesses. When we, when we first started out, it was all hands on deck. I taught Jake, you know, you can't hire for attitude, right? That's the one thing with the partnership. We both had the right attitude. We were both really hard workers. You can learn skills. You can't. It's very hard to learn attitude when you get older. So for me and him, we were both gung-ho. We both wanted to control our own lives. He had been through six layoffs in four years. Myself with the, with the restaurant, yeah, I mean, he, he's a number, basically. He's a pharmaceutical rep. If you don't hit your numbers, they're downsizing, they're changing the laws. And for myself, it's the same thing. Everyone thinks a small business is safe and secure, but you see what's going on with the pandemic right now in New York? Restaurants ain't doing too well. So I knew, I saw the vision, and I didn't want to get stuck having one little location and taking all that risk. So for us, it was all hands on deck. We did everything together in the beginning. I'm a mentality. And then as we started growing, all of a sudden he's taking care of the property management day to day. And we decided to start the Jake and Gino community and I'm doing the education day to day. And now we've you know, actually created other businesses where we control where the heads of, but we bring in partners to help us on the other businesses. Not, not going to lie. It definitely sounds very ballsy just to, <laughs> just to partner up and then go, go into Knoxville and then take down these like 20, 24 units or uh, 24 mm -hmm. units was the, the first property, correct? Mm -hmm. And like, when you did do that, did you ever feel a sense of, uh, did you ever have any self-limiting beliefs? And if so, like, how did you tackle that? So we all have limiting beliefs, right? That, that's the, that is the crux of the problem where we all stop. I had clarity. We don't lack motivation. We all lack clarity. And at that point, I knew that I wanted to get out of the restaurant. I was at that anger stage. Problem is when we're in fear stage, like a lot of us right now during the pandemic, we're paralyzed with fear. Fear paralyzes us. But when you stop and you think about it, that first deal, I'll give you an example. The first deal that we did, it was a $600,000 deal. It was 25 units. We got 10% owner financing. So we needed to come up with $80,000 as the down payment. I had myself, my brother, Mark, and Jake were on the deal. We each needed to commit $27,000 to that deal. Now, if $27,000 is going to stop me from chasing my dreams, then I don't deserve to have dreams, right? Think about that. What is $27,000 in the grand scheme of things? It's really not a lot of money. And I really would have regretted it. Now, did I tell anybody I was doing it? I, I always tell this story. My mom didn't know I partnered with Jake until we had 200 units because she was always <laughs> telling me, because, you know, you make mistakes. We, we, we lost those two deals. She knew how much money I lost in those deals. She's saying real estate's risky. You know, you have six mouths to feed. You know, don't, don't take these risks on. Stay small. All these limiting beliefs that she had, she was transferring them over to me. So I didn't really want to hear that. I wanted to say to her, when I told her, I, I finally said to her a couple of years later, I said, mom, I've got you know, over 200 units. In the next six months, I'm leaving the restaurant. She's flabbergasted because she had no idea about it. So for <laughs> limiting beliefs and for fear, that's when you need a coach. I went to coaching school for that reason. I wanted to learn the skills. I wanted to work on the personal development. And I found out that if you don't have clarity in what you want to do, if you don't have the focus, if you don't have the desire and the drive, anytime something happens, you know, when the septic fields go out, when, when a tenant dies in the unit, when you get evictions, that they're going to derail you. But for us, we were just so focused on what we wanted to achieve that those little things were bumps in the road. Now you look back a couple of years later and you're like, that was not a big deal. It's just something that you've never gone through. And there's fear there, but fear and having the right 
partner there and having the right accountability person there will, will help you overcome a lot of those uh, limiting beliefs. And one thing I want to touch on too is uh, when you when you said uh, surround yourself with like-minded individuals, were, was it just Jake and your brother Mark, uh, Marco, that were, were like your your squad and your your support system to to getting to this place, or did you have other another set of support? I mean, system? I had my wife. She's awesome. She she does doesn't cause care less about real estate now. She's an integral part of the Jake and Gino <laughs> community. You know, I make fun of her. She does not every time we'd refi a deal. She's like, oh, that's great. But she was there as far as support goes. And I, I and and I always use my family as I can't let them down. I've got to work harder. I can't make excuses. I'm paying the bills. I'm feeding them. I want to be the role model to them. And we had another partner, Jake and I, his name is Mike, who came on our second and third deal, who's really the balance sheet partner, the strength of the the partnership as far Mm -hmm. as that goes. And he's a mentor also. I mean, as far as analyzing, he's a very intelligent person. He knows how to look at investments in a certain way. So for him, he helped us early on. And we've grown that partnership, me, Jake, and my partner, Mike, to, to where we are right now through those conversations, getting on the weekly calls, getting on those huddles, you know, underwriting deals, being able to say, this is what we need to do and, and creating a business plan. And through the three of us, ultimately I, we created Jake and Gino. So that's really my accountability piece right now, having the students, having the community, being able to network with all of them, doing the live events, writing the books. That's where the accountability starts coming in on that aspect of it. And when you start teaching it, it is amazing. You become a much better investor because really, you really need to dive in. You really need to learn what you're talking about. And once you can learn it, you start, you know, exhibiting, you start doing those, those things that you learn, you become a much better investor. I love it. I love it. And even, even diving back, I know I'm like just diving back into, into your story and then your history, but I, I'm curious mm-hmm. is, was there moments where, or experiences that you dealt with in order to create the, your three-step framework? Like, did something happen that made you think like, dang, I needed to, I need to buy right, finance right, finance right and manage right, that you made mistakes on in, in the beginning that you want to teach these, uh, these students now? I mean, when you first start out, you're just winging it, right? And that's what we were doing. We even started out with, you know, coining the term mom and pop apartments. All of our apartments, all of our deals are in one form or another, a mom and pop deal. And what does that simply mean? It simply means you need a motivated seller. If you don't have a motivated seller, a mom and pop, then you're not going to find the deal, right? And what does a mom and pop look like? It's really a burned out landlord. It could be partner fighting. It could be family infighting. It could be a divorce. It could be a bankruptcy. It could be an out-of-state owner, whatever that looks like. It could be a dilapidated property. It doesn't have to be, but it has to have some type of motivation in it. And that's why we've, we've created all these different frameworks. So for us, that first property, really, we bought it right. We bought it really right, but we didn't finance it well. We got a 20-year amortization, a really high interest rate, but we did get owner financing. So we did good on that part. And then obviously the manager portion of it, if you look at it, we had weekly renters in there. We needed to start getting the weekly renters out. We needed to start creating a website. We needed to start creating some type of application process. We didn't have any of that in the beginning. So when you look at, you know, when you look at multifamily through that lens, through the buy right, the manager right, and the finance right, every deal should be looked at from that lens. And then you create parameters for every single one of those legs. And for us, the second deal, same thing. We looked at it, we, did, we bought it right. We started managing it properly. The financing was a little wobbly. We only had a three-year term on it, but we were able to refinance that out and go into some type of agency financing after about 18 months. So look at every deal through that lens. And the other one we, we created was the SPY technique. The SPY technique is a negotiation technique. It's, it stands for S is the seller, P is the property, and Y is you. When you're looking at a deal in real estate, we always tend to look at what we need. You're not really looking at real estate <laughs> deals. You're looking at real estate problems. And every deal that we've bought, there's been some type of 
quote unquote problem, whether they're not collecting rents, whether there's a problem with the building, whether the seller has the motivation. So always look at it from the seller, how you can solve that problem. The next one is the P is the property. Well, let's look at the property. Does it fit your criteria? Is it something that you want to own? You can buy, you can fix up. And then ultimately you, the why is you, right? Can you closing this deal? Is this something that you know is up your alley? Is this part of your parameters? So if you look at it always from the seller's perspective, see how you can solve their problem and then bring it back to you at the very end, you'll be more successful in real estate. Your deals will, you'll, you'll have a lot more opportunity to close deals that way. You know, when, when looking at the, the seller's perspective and, you know, trying to add value there with that first deal that you own or finance, how did you meet that owner and how did you convince them to even do owner financing? That, that deal was a long time ago when you could actually find deals on LoopNet. And deals went on LoopNet oh. to die even years ago. And it's going to come back. You're going to have that motivation right now because debt's getting tighter right now. That's why we wrote the book Creative Cash yeah. because it, it, it's, it's going to be, they're, they're going to be more prevalent right now. So for me, when we saw that problem back, that property back then, it was, seven, it was listed for $750,000. We offered $600,000 and they took it, but we knew we had a good broker on our team. He told us, hey, listen, they're open to doing some seller financing. And we probably could have paid less, right? That's another thing. But you know what? We bought it. We actually got some type of seller retrades. They did a couple of roofs. They painted a couple of the buildings. Mm -hmm. But for us, it was really focused on what was their problem. They were old. They were tired. They were sick of dealing with weekly renters. Then they had the property listed for a couple of years. So for us, that was the problem we were solving. We were to take that property away from them. And hey, listen, they like to have that three or four, 500 bucks a month coming in every month from the seller financing. They got a nice big chunk of change and they've got four or 500 bucks a month coming in by doing nothing. So that's the problem that we solved on that very first deal. And then now from that very first deal going, I know we're, we've been just hyper-focused on the first deal and the second deal. But you know, when, when you jumped into the second deal, what was one of the, your biggest learning experiences that you had from that first deal that you knew you were not going to do? That's a good question. The second deal, we did better, much better due diligence. We, we, we got an inspector, a much better inspector in the second deal. We went through all the units. We looked at every single unit. We, we knew how to analyze the deal. We knew what, what rents should be. We knew what expenses should be because we were running properties, right? So we knew what kind of number we needed to be putting in. On that second deal, we made a big mistake. We, we bought the property. They were, we inherited a resident manager who was, he was just an awful human being. We kept him on a little bit longer. Oh, yeah, when he sucks. Not, I don't like uh, him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when, when, when he, he, was, he, was, he was living on the property for over 10 years, right? Hmm. So- he felt as if it was, his, it was his own property. Jake and I, we were, we were starting out new in the space. Jake really wasn't an entrepreneur at the time. And that learning lesson was when you have somebody on the team that it just is not, you just, you just got to get rid of them as soon as possible. And for us, we took a little bit longer than we should have. That was a learning lesson on that property. Once we got rid of him, he was actually renting a two bedroom unit and we were giving, he was getting rent for free. He was getting paid part of the gross. Once we got rid of him, we just had one resident manager for all 60 units. His apartment went to, went to list at 700 bucks a month. So we got an extra eight grand in rent from his apartment and things moved much smoother. So for us, we didn't have the core values. We didn't have our culture in the company at the time. We were just starting out. So that's one of the things that we really focus on right now. As you start growing, you need to know what your core values are because right now our core values, you know, growth mindset and unwavering ethics, that guy would not even, even we would have fired him before we even took the property over. He would have been out before he even took the property. But those are, those are lessons that you learn when you first start out. And, you know, something that I'm, I'm, I was very impressed by, and that's why I gravitated towards your brand too, is because um, I think it was on a podcast or maybe it was on a video, but 
when people think of just like real estate investors, multifamily real estate investors, I mean, some, sometimes the, the common stereotype is, oh, they're just doing it for money. Oh, they're just doing it to, you know, to be rich. They're just sort of like slum dogs that are just owning these properties. But something uh, in, in touching on your culture is that Jake and Gino is very family oriented. And uh, one thing that really resonated with me in the book, oh, it was in the, it was in the book, it was in the Wheelbarrow Will Profits book, uh, is that you are improving these communities and these living spaces. Now, when you were improving these communities, did you learn that from, from somewhere? Like, was there a certain experience where like, you were like, wow, these tenants that we're dealing, like these are actual lives. These aren't just tenants. These are, these are homes for people. Was there an experience that you dealt with that kind of, that brought you to this mindset? Well, looking back at the whole restaurant experience, I probably should have taken it from there more. But when you run a restaurant and you're doing a bar mitzvah or you're doing somebody's wedding or you're catering a bridal shower or a baptism, you're part of somebody's life. It's just an everyday job where you're just creating food and it doesn't really mean anything, but you're really intimately part of somebody's life. Now, the Mm -hmm. problem with the restaurant business, you can't scale it up. It was very hard for me to scale, do multiple locations with great food. So when I went, we went into the, into the real estate, we're like the first 25 unit property was, I mean, there was opioids. There's, there's a drug problem on the property. There was just, it was like the crack den. It was called a shamrock motel. It was a terrible property. Did we know? We found out real quick, weekly renters. <laughs> so for us, after six months cleaning the property up and having the mail lady come drive by and says, hey, you know what? This is a safe property. I feel really good delivering the mail here again. It just clicked. And, and when people demonize others for trying to make money, I think that's the wrong thing. I think when you're young and you're starting out in business, you chase money. Now, you know, as you get older and you become quote unquote financially free, you don't want to chase money anymore. You chase opportunity because the more opportunity you have and the more value you create, ironically, the more money you're going to make. That, that's just very hard for people to understand. And I think people who are either poor or rich, I, we're, I'm talking more mindset than anything else. People mm-hmm. who have a rich mindset are always out there seeking to serve. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to seek to serve, not give to get. And when you seek to serve others and you're creating a great customer experience in any business, you know, Jake wants to become the Chick-fil-A of apartments. Now, I don't want to hear Jake here to hear this. I don't really particularly like Chick-fil-A's food. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't what? think it's great. I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't. But I'll still go there because of the customer experience. I'll still go there because I'm like, damn, I got in the line with 20 other cars and I got food in six minutes. And they were smiling and they were happy. And like, that is the brand. So that's what Jake wants to create. And you don't start out by doing that. But once you have the core values, I mean, we are one of our core values is people first. So once you have those core values, and you can start setting them up and you start having your quote unquote blue ocean strategy, which is what we have by, you know, in that property management company, by trying to deliver that quality service, by calling residents residents and not tenants, by calling their homes, apartment homes and not units. Those are the little things in life that you can tweak and you can have your whole, your whole employees live by that. And I, what I love what Chick-fil-A does, I think anybody out there, when, when you, you want, there's a video on YouTube that they have you know, their customers walk in and you see like little bubbles, things on top of their head saying that the customer, you know, lost their father yesterday, or this customer is going through cancer treatments. And then you have the employee looking at it. And like, I think we're so disassociated with what's going on with the person on the other side that they're only being treated as, as a number. So Jake and Gino, I tell my guys, never treat the person as a transaction. You never want to treat your customers as a transaction because you know what's going on in their life. They may be having a tough day, a tough life. And that's what Chick-fil-A, I think, does. I think they do that really well. They treat their employees. And I mean, I try, we try to do that with the property management. We don't want the maintenance tech to say, man, there's another hot water here that I got to fix. 
really, if they don't fix a hot water heater, that single mom may have you know, to go on an interview and she can't go on that interview because the hot water heater is not fixed. So you're not just fixing a hot water heater. You're making somebody's life that much better. And that's what I love what Chick-fil-A does with their, you know, with their employees, having empathy for the customer and really trying to say that you're doing something greater. You're not just serving them a food. You're actually giving them a meal and letting them spend time with their family in that restaurant. So I think the great companies are able to do that. When you first start out, in business, it's not that way. But you know, when you're buying multifamily, I, our slogan is we create multifamily entrepreneurs. You're, you're building a business here. You're trying to build something that's sustainable, something that's scalable. And most of us, myself included, get in by just saying, I want 5,000 a month in cash flow. That's not the only thing that there is in multifamily. It's such a great scalable business that you can actually start employing others and helping, having others help you in that process. And you start gravitating towards what you like to do in the end. There are two things that, that really stood out to me was one was that seeking to serve and the fact that because because my original mindset was that everything's competitive. You're either it's it's a shark eat shark world, but you know, in a way it's sort of backwards where you're so giving in in the content that you create or the the advice and wisdom that you create. Did you ever like experience like people that were just extremely competitive and sort mm-hmm. of like when when against your framework like did you ever have to work with somebody like that i mean it's all the time it just depends upon who who and what you want to do i mean the, i mean our, our restaurant business is competitive we have people opening up down the street taking our recipes getting taking our ideas and that's fine it only makes you better do you have to compete in that way no just read stephen covey's book seven habits of highly successful people you don't have to do that i mean what you have to do as a person is is create your and can you know create that character ethic as steven says not the personality ethic everyone's got a personality ethic you see all these brands online and all these people you know whether it's trump or it's biden <laughs> it's there's no character to it there's just personality so if you can build your your character and you can go from that mindset because that that slogan of win-win is so, is so overused nowadays but really when you're using the spike technique and you're trying to buy somebody's property all you're trying to do is to create that win-win win-win scenario how am I going to help him? And how is that person going to help me? And if you can look at it from that perspective, you will close a lot more deals because in real estate, everybody eats the table. You've got lawyers, CPAs, you've got brokers, you've got inspectors, you've got insurance agents, you've got investors, you've got the partners, you've got the buyer, the seller, everybody's eating at the table. There's a little bit of meat on the bone for everybody. And obviously if there's certain people that are just, you know, type A and you can't work with them, you walk away from the deal and you go to another deal. So that's, it, it, it is like that way in life, but you don't have to be in that realm if you don't want to be. No, I love that. I love that. And, and you know, I, would, I do want to emphasize just on the word relationship too, is because, I mean, just from your personality, it's sort of like shined on through Jake and Gino, through your apartment buildings, through, through your employees, all the way down to the residents, the giving mindset of like building relationships and knowing that these are people that mm-hmm. you're taking care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm curious, you know, in, in this stage uh, where there's sort of a dissociation and it's a little bit harder to make connections with residents, especially in the younger generation with social media mm-hmm. being, being up above. And now I know virtual leasing is, is a big thing too. In terms of relationships how have, how have y'all been monitoring the relationships during covid and yeah how are you how have you been monitoring relationships during covid so for us we have what we call net promoter scores and employee net promoter scores so we send out mm-hmm. surveys to the employees to make sure we're doing a good job we track them and it's the same thing when you're a Jake and Gino student 
We send out, you know, surveys after you've done every coaching call. We want to know what the, how well the coaches are doing. If you can't yeah. measure it, then you can't manage it. So you need to track it that way. And, you know, in employees, it's really important that we have high, high MPS scores and net promoter scores for the employees. Because if they're not bought into the system, they're not bought into it, then guess what? You're, you're, you know, you, you're going to be in big trouble because it really is. I, I think the gentleman, Herb Kelleher from Southwest said it. The first person you really need to care of is your employee. Then it's the customer. And then it's the investor. Mm. If the employee's taken care of it and they're bought in, they're going to deliver a great service. All of a sudden, your customer is going to be happy. Customers are going to stay and they're going to pay for the brand. Then ultimately, the investor will get paid back. Unfortunately, a lot of times it's switched around where the investors are the first ones and the employees are the last ones. How are they going to deliver mm. customer service? How are they going to you know, cultivate the brand if they're not thinking about the brand first and the, and, and the customer? So that's something that you really got to be aware of. And really just honing in on your foundation and making sure as a team, y'all are strong and that yes. should organically create a customer service experience for your mm-hmm. investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. I love that mindset. So now, you know, moving forward after, you know, these deals and after these experiences, what are you, what are you currently focusing on now? For us, we're just trying to get buy around 500 units a year internally, just me, Jake, and my partner, Mike. We don't really want to syndicate. We'd rather buy our own deals. Bigger deals come, we'll look to, we'll look to syndicate as well, a portion of those deals. We're looking to develop. So development is going to be a big aspect. We're putting a, a piece of prop, piece of land on the contract right now. Start that process. You think big, but you start small. And it's just another part, right? So that multifaceted, now development's going to be a part of it. We already have a CapEx team. So our CapEx crew are doing floors. They're doing the rehab. So you start small from that. And then all of a sudden you start building. So that's what we're ultimately doing as far as that aspect. And as far as the Jake and Gino community, just continuing to uh, grow the invest, the student base. And we're continuing to launch books. We have the Jake and Gino present brand that's, that's launching uh, books with our coaches and with a mm-hmm. couple of our students are writing books. And we're all, we're also going to be doing an MM4 multi-mastery four in October of this year. So we're going to hopefully get about four to four to 500 people in Orlando. So that's going to be awesome. Multi-mastery four. And do you have to be a student to be? No, no, not this one. This is going to be the outside one. So, I mean, like, I think people want it. I don't know where we're going to be with COVID, but Florida's open. Cases like, they get like, say, cases like 4,000 a day right now. So by the summertime, I I honestly think this is going to be, you know, bygone in Florida. I I really do. I think people are going to be vaccinated. People are going to be wanting to get out. So we're going to, we're going to open it up and hopefully we get between four and 500 students. We had, we had 500 people uh, back in October of 2019. That was the last big event we had. A lot of fun. It's going to be an internal a team for as far as the speakers, it's going to be just the Jake and Gino team. Our coaches are going to present. We're going to have students presenting, but we're going to be teaching the buy right, the manage right, and the finance right. So it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. I can't wait too. I, I this is my first time hearing about it. I definitely want to go. <laughs> well, you're the, you're, I think you're the first person we've told actually because I oh, we just really? we, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. And we're like, should we do it? Should we not do it? And it's like, you know what? Let's just rip off the Band-Aid. Let's be one of the first ones to have another big event out there. So we'll see what happens. No, I'm, I'm excited. Because I remember I was talking to Dylan, uh, Dylan McGowan. And you know, I was like, well, when is, when is the next event going to be? Like, is there going to be another one like the Multifamily uh-huh. Property Challenge or in person? And he said, oh, it's in the works. But now hearing this and yes. you know, being the first, I'm excited. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely going to connect with you on, offline and, and mm-hmm. figure it out. And, that's awesome. Uh, and get a ticket uh, to go. That's awesome. As we're wrapping things up, how, how do you want your family to, to remember you by, you know, and this is, this is just a legacy question that I like to ask, um, you know, all my other, you know, guests, but, you know, we're doing all of this work um, and it's working to be financially free, but in the end, like, what is, what is your big why? Well, Stephen Covey's second habit is start with the end in mind. 
And basically what he's saying is, if you're at your own funeral, how do you want people to remind you? So it's a great question. How, how do you want them to remember you? For me, I just want my kids to know that I was a hard worker. I want my kids to be responsible for their, for their lives because when you're responsible for your life, the ability to respond, as Stephen says, it's an amazing life. You can't blame anybody else. You're not a victim. When you're a victim, there's no solutions. There's only blame. And maybe you are a victim. Maybe something did happen that's bad. I'm not saying it did or it didn't, but when you're in that state, you can't do anything to solve it. There's no, there's no, all you see are problems. You don't see opportunities. So I want my kids to take that, you know, in their lives. And I love for them all to go to college. They don't have to, if they don't want to. I got my two older ones are going to college where I have one graduating and my son's a freshman. I want them to do what they like. I want them to be enjoyable. That's why I started Jake and Gino and got out of the restaurant because even though I was working hard, I didn't like what I was doing. I started hating work and I didn't want my kids to hate work. I wanted my kids to enjoy work. So that's another legacy that I want them to leave. And I, I want them to be able to control their finances and not be controlled by money because most people nowadays are controlled by money. That's the problem. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. And when people start getting controlled by money and it's ironic when you're out there working nine to five and paying the bills, that's all you're focusing on. But then when you become financially free, you're like, you know what? If I don't get paid this month, it's okay. If I don't get paid next month, it's okay. I'm building something. That's the shift that I had a few years ago when I was like, okay, I can start really building businesses and start helping others. That's what I want my kids to see is like, all right, have a foundation. Instant gratification is no good. Build for the long term and you'll be successful. That's beautiful. Very inspiring. You know, especially now with, kids, you know, I have a little brother instant gratification is, is the mm -hmm. big thing that, you know, I want my little brother to get out of is that, you know, it takes mm -hmm. time and we also have to love just what we do. It just takes patience and time. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing, Gino. And, you know, if people want to reach out to you and learn more about your program, you know, get connected to your courses, um, how can they reach you? Just go to jakeandgino.com. If you want a copy of the creative cash uh, and you want to me to send you one, just email me Gino at Jake and Gino.com. Go on, go on Amazon, buy a copy in Kindle and I'll send you a hard copy. If you leave us a review, just send me a screen grab of the review and I'll send you a hard copy in the mail. Awesome. And I'm, I'm still midway in the book, but there's so much value in, in that book that I just it never really book. thought of. It is he a, did a great, he book. did a great job. I mean, he talks about the three pillars of real estate. He talks about negotiation techniques. He talks about master lease options, which is there's very little news or information out, out there. And also, I mean, the creative financing aspect, as far as structuring deals, it's a, I mean, it's a really well-written book. Bill did a fantastic job. It's a very well-written book. And, and what I love is just like, you really dive into just like the seller's mindset and then how we can mm -hmm. add value to that yep. seller. Like, like we were talking about earlier in, in this yes. conversation. So definitely yeah. go get it. <sighs> Highly recommend it. And uh, thank you all for joining us and have a good one. Thanks, Taylor. Thanks for listening to the Multifamily Artist Podcast. If you got any value out of this episode, I'd greatly appreciate if you head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review the show, which will help more people receive that same value. If you're looking to connect and talk more about multifamily real estate, you can reach me at inrhythmmultifamily.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.